It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Support for this podcast comes from Microsoft Surface. Now more than ever, you need a laptop that can be as adaptable as you are. Introducing Microsoft Surface Laptop Go. Finally, a premium laptop at an affordable price. Starting at just $549, its light, thin design, vibrant touchscreen, powerful processor, and built-in HD camera and mic turns any room in your home into a classroom, office, or study hall. Available in three amazing colors the whole family will love. Visit surface.com slash laptop go for more details. You are Locked On Warriors, your daily Golden State Warriors podcast. I'm Danny Lurie, your host, and so happy to bring you your team every day. And this is a good example of that because today your team was not on television, and so had a, let's call it a narrow pool of people to, that were at the game of, of my media friends. And fortunately, Tim Bontemps of the Washington Post was gracious enough to give me a little bit of his time. And so we talked about what was a, a, a pretty interesting game in some ways. It was unusual in terms of the turnovers and all that, and we'll get into the substance of it. But we talked for about a half an hour on what we took away from the experience of a, of a game that wasn't televised. So it feels like we have a little bit of a a challenge here, or an obligation if you want to call it that, because we get to talk about a game that almost nobody got to see because it wasn't on TV. Iron Rise wasn't on TV. That's interesting. Yeah, so I... I I guess they should have realized that, but I I didn't, I guess. That's one of the big reasons I was there, is because when it wasn't going to be on TV, then I I decided I wanted to be there to share the experience with, with the listeners. And there are a lot of different ways to take to take this game. It was weird in a, in a lot of different ways, just in terms of the Warriors turning the ball over a lot early, but still having some really strong performances. And so instead of me dictating at the very beginning, what was your biggest takeaway from this game? I think in the macro, it reinforced what we saw uh, Tuesday and what we saw Saturday, which is that, you know, I mean, a lot of times the conventional wisdom winds up being wrong, Right. But I think with the Warriors, I think the conventional wisdom is going to prove correct, which is that if you're going to beat this team, it's going to be by pounding them inside and slowing the game down and keeping them from getting out in transition. Because we saw tonight what we saw on Tuesday, which is that whenever the Warriors get a chance to get out on the break, they're going to be dominant because they have all of these guys that can get out and make threes and, uh, and, and wreak havoc on the opposition. And, you know, when, when did they struggle tonight? When DeMarcus Cousins, one of the best big men in the league, was pounding them inside. And, you know, I, and on Saturday against the, against the Raptors in Vancouver, they struggled when, you know, Jared Sullinger and Jonas, Jonas Antunas were pounding them on the boards. And I think that when you look at, when you look at kind of the, the data we have so far, that's when this team is going to struggle. When they have, when they have opposition that can, can bang with them inside and wear them down and slow the game down and keep them from running. The question is going to be, can anybody who tries to play that way do it for long enough that they're not going to get annihilated when the Warriors go small? And that, that is the question that, that remains to be answered. But I, I think we do know what this team's vulnerabilities are, and they are, I think, what we kind of expected they would be. Yeah, that's certainly fair. And the other angle, which is analogous to that, that I used to, to start out my piece, which will eventually go up on The Athletic, is that something that carried over from this game to last Saturday is that the best way to beat the Warriors is with their help. This is a team that is really good when they're on. And, and while Sacramento ended up not capitalizing on everything the Warriors gave them, the, it, it's pretty amazing. The Warriors had, I believe, was eight turnovers in the first quarter 
and Sacramento had zero fast break points. So that can be a little bit of a, a little bit of it. And most of those, I believe, were live ball turnovers. I think they had six steals in that first quarter. So that is the type of way that is part of what the Warriors can can kind of do to themselves. And we saw that a little bit last year too with that loss they had to Boston at Oracle. I remember Steele's playing a meaningful part of that game as well. Yeah, I mean, I mean that's the other thing, right? This team, this team is going to be capable of throwing the ball around. Durant's a, Durant's a guy who can rack up turnovers. Same with Draymond. Same with Steph. You know, those are all guys that when you handle the ball a lot and try to make fancy plays, you tend to have the you know the propensity to maybe turn it over a little bit. And you know, if the Warriors, you know, the Warriors could certainly stub their toe doing that, just as they could by getting mauled on the glass. And I think. You know, if you if you look at their losses this year, you know, not that it's different from many teams, but if you look at their losses this year, probably most of them are going to come from uh, a combination of teams either, you know, really beating them up on the glass and getting a bunch of second-chance points or, you know, the Warriors just kind of throwing a game away by either missing a ton of shots or, you know, throwing the ball around and giving it to the opposition. One interesting thing that struck me when I was reading Anthony Slater's piece after the game, and he, he did a nice job of articulating some of the issues at, at the center position, but I, I hadn't really thought about it too hard and realized that of the teams that you would probably put in the group of the biggest threats to the Warriors in terms of playoff series, none of them really have a dominant offensive big man, and you can talk about how there might be a correlation there that those teams aren't good, like you know that the teams that have those guys for whatever reason aren't aren't as aren't as talented overall, but that is a little bit of a bullet that they might be dodging at some point this year. But there are talented guys. I mean, Favors and a series of other guys can play well inside Pau Gasol, but they're like Demarcus and maybe Carl Anthony Towns aren't really on those real contending teams. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I mean, I, I think you know we've talked a lot about about Minnesota and Carl Towns, but I, I think a year or two from now. You know, they're going to be a huge problem for this Warriors team because you look at a guy like Towns, just like you saw Cousins tonight, and they, the, the Warriors don't have anybody that can match up with a guy like that. And whether they go big or small, because Draymond can't call a guy like that. And, you know, Sasa Petrulia is, I, I think, a decent player. And I, I think people are, are kind of jumping to conclusions a bit on him because I, I think, you know, people have to remember, like, he probably has a bigger adjustment to make in terms of figuring out all the defensive calls and everything the Warriors want him to do than even a guy like Durant does. Um, you know, it's just, it, he has a lot to, just a lot to adjust to and a lot to figure out. So I, I'm not really surprised that it's taken him a minute to catch up, but, but even if Zaza's fully integrated into things, you know, he's not going to be able to slow down a guy like Cousins or, or Towns. And I, I do think that, you know, when the Cavs, you know, the Cavs have Tristan Thompson, who's a mauler inside, but not really a, you know, a, a, a really effective scorer. You know, I do think that 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 is that is one thing that's going to work in their favor, and it would be interesting to see how, say, a team like the Spurs matched up with them if they played some Lamarcus at the five and Kawhi at the four and let Lamarcus kind of go to town inside. Maybe you know, maybe that's a situation where you know they could run into a little trouble. But I don't. I think San Antonio's guard play is probably, you know, they probably don't have the guard play to go, to go with that to really give the Warriors trouble either. So. Yeah, I, I do think that, you know, that is kind of the luxury of having Kevin Durant, right? Like, if you do have a weakness, you have so much power everywhere else that it kind of makes up for it. Yeah, I mean, they you have enough strength that no team is going to be perfect. I mean, that's just the nature of the beast is that right. no team is going to do that. So you want to make sure that your strengths are there. And talking about Durant ties in with something that along your early theme of, you know, that it confirmed both games is that 
there was this idea that I think a lot of us shared that we don't know who's going to get the open looks that are generated by the Warriors offense, but somebody will. And this was the first game where it wasn't Clay; it was Durant that got more of them. And it was shocking, like it was every once in a while in the Clippers game when Curry got open, that there were a couple times where Durant was just wide open. And that's something that's different, and he was nailing those shots comfortably from, you know, 26, 27 feet. Yeah, I mean, the, the thing about this team, like I was saying before, like when they when they get in any kind of even, uh, you know, you know semi-fast break situations, it's, it, you know, when it was just Steph and Clay, you could find those guys, and you could you could you know get a body on them and and ten, and slow them down a little bit, right? But when you when you look at this Warrior team now, and you have Steph Clay and Durant on the break, sometimes with them running on the break with Draymond bringing the ball up, it's just impossible to find that many guys in transition. And you saw you know any time tonight when they got in one of those situations and ran out, one of those guys wound up being wide open. And you know one time it was Steph, a couple times it was Clay, and a lot of times to your point it was Durant and. And that's probably going to change from night to night. But, you know, all those guys are such good shooters that if they get, you know, even a partially open look, a lot of times you're going to think it's going to go in. And they were a lot of the time getting wide open looks tonight. And it wasn't, that, it wasn't even really anything Sacramento was doing wrong. It was just that, you know, those guys are just so – they screw up a defense so much when they're all out there that it's kind of impossible to keep track of everybody. And that was a huge difference with the Warriors in that early part of the game between them in, in transition versus in the half court was that Sacramento did a great job of playing the passing lanes and predicting where passes were going to go in the half court. But you really can't do that in transition because there are more options and there are fewer defenders. And so they were they did a nice job of kind of figuring out what the Warriors were going to do. But in those kind of circumstances, there's not much you can do. Yeah, I mean, when you have that many options, it's mostly just try to stay with them as long as possible and then hope they miss. I mean, you know, that, that, that's kind of the beauty of this team where they, they just, they're just going to overwhelm just about every opponent with just the sheer number of options they have. I mean, it's really, you know, you saw it kind of in its probably its perfect form on Tuesday where, you know, all those guys get going. It's going to be like, you know, a, 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 like an avalanche going down the mountain. And it's just, there's not going to be a way for a team to slow them down if they all get going at the same time. And while the final outcome isn't that important in a preseason game, the biggest difference in this was that the Warriors end of the bench guys, really, I would say the guys that are at the end of their act, like the guys that are actually going to make the team, were better than those guys for Sacramento. Both McCaw and Ian Clark looked pretty good tonight. And then they got kind of enough overall to really make it work. Yeah, I, I, you know, I'm glad you brought Ian Clark up. I mean, there's been a lot of, uh, of Pat McCaw talk led by our pal Ethan Strauss, uh, you know, lately. And, and, and McCaw is an interesting prospect, and, and he's got a chance to, to carve out a, a job for himself in the league. But I think you saw today why Ian Clark is going to start the season as the ninth guy in the rotation, which really, you knew, you knew eight guys already. You had the five starters and then Livingston Iguodala and David West. And you know, Ian Clark has from the start been the ninth guy, and if you look at this Warriors team, all you need that guy to do is be able to knock down open threes. If he can play a little defense, great. If he can handle the ball a little bit, great. But mainly, you just want a guy that when the ball gets swung to him and he's wide open, because he's going to be, that he can knock down shots. And Clark went, I think, four for seven on threes tonight. He made a few threes the other night, too. And I think, you know, he's, he's shown he's capable of knocking down those open shots, and as long as he does that, 
you know, I, I think he's going to have all that that spot knocked down, locked down for uh, for the foreseeable future. The analog in terms of the starting lineup is Clay Thompson's role. Is that while Clay can do a whole lot more than Clark, being a poor man's Clay is more than enough to make the offense work on the second unit. And Clark is capable of of handling the ball and adding a little bit more than just that bare minimum. But doing that is is notable for this team, especially if they're going to play Livingston at the one, because Livingston is an immensely talented player, but he doesn't add that kind of spacing. He Defenses handle him really differently, and so getting that from the two is very important, and while McCaw could be talented defensively, I think that he will get there, and he's, his shot, you know, it's getting there. It's not He's not as good a shooter as Clark, but that's not a surprise. And so even if even if he was, like, if you want to think about it in terms of, like, overall impact, and I'm not saying this is true, even if he were, Clark were a little bit worse than McCaw, and I don't think he is, you might still want to play him just because he fits what they're looking for better in that role. Right. And, and you know, the other thing is, too, unless a rookie is a pretty high draft pick, a lot of the time, most coaches are going to go with the veteran first anyway. And it's going to take the veterans either going to have to really cough it up or the rookie's going to have to be so good that they go, well, we got to play the rookie now. You know, I mean, I, I think the I think the safe way to look at this situation is that, you know, Ian Clark is, is going to probably be that guy this year. He's probably going to shoot 40% from three or close. And then he'll go get a fat contract this summer from somebody. And then their, their ideal scenario is that next year, as a second-year player, Pat McCaw is ready to be a full-time rotation guy and can step into that spot and kind of do that job. I think if I think if everything works perfectly for the Warriors, that's exactly how it'll play out. And something they tried today, which felt like it'll be part of the end game for this season, is in some of the less important times they played McCaw and Clark together with another point guard. For a little bit, it was Livingston. For a little bit, it was Curry. And you don't really want to do that in a time that's important. You know, like where where the game is on the line because you're just really small at those positions, unless it's a thin, like a really thin three that somebody can guard. But if you're just gobbling up minutes, that's a nice way to do it. And that's a big part of the reason why, at this moment, McCall makes a lot of sense to be on the active roster as opposed to being maybe in the D-League and playing more minutes, is that he can be a part of this overall team even if he's not the ninth guy in the rotation. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think he's the tenth guy. I mean, I, I think he's got to get some minutes, you know, regardless. You know, he... He showed a propensity to get his hands on the hands on the ball in defense, and he he can knock down a shot. Like you said, he's not a bad shooter. Um, and I, so I I think you know when you look at how the Warriors play, you know I think he's going to be the tenth guy. And you know if Steve does play, if Steve Kerr does play ten guys. I could see McCaw you know sticking in the rotation uh, right from the start. But you know normally coaches are going to play nine guys, and I think you've seen you know I know people couldn't watch this game tonight, but if there wasn't really a different rotation in the first two. You basically see him Kerr play nine guys, and and then he kind of throws McCaw in there for a couple minutes, and you know I, I think that's probably how it'll continue. And you know he he's definitely McCaw's definitely already shown he can do some stuff, and you know whenever they rest guys, he's going to get minutes. Like I think he's gonna he's definitely gonna have a chance to to get significant minutes right away. And if he if he gets playing like he did uh, like he has these first couple of preseason games, he'll he'll keep himself in the in the mix right from the start. Speaking of in the mix. I'm struggling to grapple with the idea of how to resolve the center stuff outside of the top guys. So we'll count Draymond just for the heck of it, but he's not going to discuss it. Zaza and West. And so really that's 
the guys on guaranteed deals are McAdoo and Verizal, and then JaVale is competing with them. Theoretically, they could keep all three. I'm guessing they won't. But the challenge for McGee to frame it this way is that he has to be, I guess you could use the phrase you used for McCaw, is that he has to be undeniable because the other two guys have some entrenched advantages on him. Yeah, I actually think the battle for the 15th spot on the roster isn't really between any of those three guys. It's between JaVale McGee and Elliot Williams. I agree. Uh, Elliot Williams, Elliot Williams, who is, uh, is currently out after undergoing knee surgery in the offseason. Uh, and I think Elliot Williams is going to make the team. I, I, I think... You know, I think the play that kind of summed up where JaVale is at right now is there was a there was a fast break. Uh, I want to say it was in the third quarter, but Draymond Green came down and, and threw the ball towards the rim for JaVale. And JaVale kind of struggled to get up and get it over the rim. He caught it and he kind of fumbled it and, and laid it in eventually. But um, he, he's had some injuries and he clearly just doesn't have the same level of insane athleticism that he used to. And... You know, I just think when you look at this Warriors team, you've got, you know, Draymond, Zaza Pachulia, David West, uh, McAdoo, Verjao, and Kavon Looney, all guys that could theoretically play the five. Do you really need a seventh guy that can do that? I just don't see it. Whereas Elliott Williams got a big guarantee, um, a big guarantee from the Warriors uh, as a partial guarantee guy coming into camp. JaVale got no money. And Elliott Williams was another wing, and they frankly need depth on the wings. I mean, if they have, you know, McCaw, you know, we just talked about McCaw and Clark a lot, and those guys are playing well, but they don't really have anybody behind them. And, you know, they don't really have, they don't really, you know, they don't really have a third point guard. So, you know, having a guy like Elliot Williams on the team balances out the roster a little better than if you have, uh, than if you have JaVale there. So, you know, maybe his knee situation doesn't improve fast enough and they, they decide not to do it. But I, to me, and, and the other thing, too, is Steve Kerr's a guy that really values locker room chemistry and, and having harmony in the locker room. And, I mean, JaVale's just such an, you know, he's got a, enough of a history as a, as a bit of an interesting character. that it just, It's just hard for me to see that, you know, that's the direction these guys would wind up going in at the end. I agree with it on the merits. And what is a challenge for them is that if there were like kind of the idea of having a firm guy in that 15 spot could be problematic for them just because you don't know where the need is going to arise. Like you, when, when rosters can only be 15 deep and active can only be 13, you're going to need something at some point, you know, somebody's going to have an injury or something like that. And part of the problem of having, you know, having somebody locked in in that spot, whether it's Williams or McGee is that, you know, you don't know that you're going to get exactly what you need from it because, you know, if, if let's say, a point guard gets hurt, then you're going to need somebody like that. If a, a three or a four gets hurt, then you're going to need somebody there because the Warriors are, as much as we focus on the, you know, the guard spots, they're really, sh- they're two guys that really play the three for them. And so the challenge for any of them, if you were thinking about it in the kind of the way that I do sometimes of like, you know, maybe it'd be better to keep it open but as a realistic matter, teams don't do it that way. They just they do the best with what they can. Right, and I think you know what you could see. I think is if if there's a situation like that where maybe you get to February and there are some buyout guys, then you know whether they keep Javale or Elliott Williams or you know they let McAdoo go. Like there there are some guys towards the back end of the roster that you know if they decide there's a guy out there they really want to go get, they could they could just let one of those guys go. I mean the Warriors. Their, their salary is lower, and they're not. If, I could be wrong about this, but I'm pretty sure they're not really near the luxury tax. So 
it's not like it's not like if they let one of those guys go, it's going to cost them a ton of money. It's just you know they just have to let one of them go and then you know go go pay the remainder on whatever the guy's salary be for the season. So um, now you know you're right that you know there isn't a lot of depth at the uh, at on the wing, especially. Um, you know, especially when you consider some of the injury history that a guy like Andre Godala has had. But, um, you know, that's also something that they'll be able to address if they have to as the season progresses. And if you're talking about backup threes, you can fudge it for a couple games if you have to with somebody who's smaller. Like, that's not the biggest thing in the world. And if Kevon Looney... Right, can... they could play Sean Livingston it. They could play Sean Livingston at small forward. Yeah, they, they, could, could, they, they could, could do, do a couple different things. Like you know, it's it's not the biggest deal. Like, that's part of the the challenge with those perimeter spots is sometimes teams get too rigid about it. They go, oh, you need to have somebody. And to his credit, Rick Carlisle, somebody who's done that really differently, is like, well, if you need more ball handling in your backups, why not play two point guards? Nobody has the personnel to exploit that. You know, it's not like anybody's sitting there going, oh, we have this right. beast. We have this beast of a backup two that's just going to brutalize these guys. I mean, that's just the way the NBA yep. works is there aren't that many awesome players and the ones the spots where usually where teams are excessively deep aren't necess- aren't really those spots necessarily you know that's just i mean the warriors are an extreme rarity to have two starting caliber small forwards and the warriors don't have to play right in between right exactly <laughs> yes exactly luckily for them but yeah between between Iguodala and Duran and uh and Sean Livingston and Clay Thompson i mean they've got you know they've got a lot of guys who are long um, who could who can guard threes in a pinch? So you know they can they can fudge it however they have to to make it work. Yeah, I think that's a good way of putting it. Uh, anything else that struck you about this game? Uh, we talked about it a little bit, but I know I know this is the the Locked On Warriors podcast. But I, I was I came out of that game optimistic about the Kings. I, I think that you know that's a team that you know has you know they they I think they've done a nice job of getting some guys that are going to compete and grind for them guys like Aaron Aflalo and Matt Barnes, you know, just some, you know, some, some vets, uh, give them a little more toughness. And, you know, I, I, I think, you know, George Carl is a hall of fame coach in my opinion, but you know, that was obviously a toxic situation last year. And I think, you know, having Dave Yeager who's a good coach in there. Hopefully can give them a little bit of stability. And I think that team's got a chance to be pretty good. I agree with you. And one of the huge differences between them this year and last year is that, they still have a lot of young guys that probably aren't going to contribute much, but this year they don't need them to. You know, this isn't a spot where they have just Ben McElmore at the two. They have McElmore and Aflalo. Their forward spots are deep. Omri Caspi didn't even play in this game, and sure, they would they could have used him, but Tolliver, they played two centers a lot. Rudy Gay, you know, like Matt Barnes, they didn't a solid enough job there. And so when you can play capable NBA guys for 48 minutes or close to it, that really helps. I'm still a little dubious about their shot creation outside of, you know, Boogie and, and Lawson, I thought actually looked pretty good tonight. Like it's going to be, yeah, it might be Ty hard. Lawson, Ty Lawson looked like Ty Lawson looked like he'd lost a lot of weight and looked like a guy who, you know, was trying to, who'd realized that his time might be running out and needed to try to make sure he stayed in the league. Um, I, I, I don't know about you. I thought he looked like a different person than he did uh, physically last year. And, you know that was something that he had to do if he wanted to try to stick in the league. I, I that really that really stood out to me. Now that we know about Darren Collison getting eight games, uh, getting suspended for eight games to start the year, you know that that's going to be a huge opportunity for for uh, for Ty Lawson because if he can if he can come out for those games and, and prove that he can still play, I mean, heck, he might even get a chance to just start for the Kings, and you know that could really allow him to to get another contract next summer and 
kind of kind of get get paid again, and that would be you know given where his 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 kind of career has gone in the last twelve months, that'd be pretty huge for him. And to to bring it back to the Warriors, one of the storylines of this game, and I think it was true of some of the other teams they faced. Toronto is another example of this that there are a lot of NBA caliber guys in the league now. I mean, we saw teams a couple of years ago thinking about that Knicks squad that was there, the Lakers a couple of times the last few years, that just were rolling out lineups and at different moments that had two or three guys who probably shouldn't be in the league or at least shouldn't be playing rotation minutes. And overall, there are, f- there are fewer blatant gaps in the league. I think some of that is longevity and training and all that. And that is something that hurts the Warriors to a degree because they're they're top heavy enough and they're like they could exploit those things just like any team that's better than those squads can and that will make it you know that'll give them a little bit less throughway because unlike today where the kings just played guys that probably aren't going to make their team or aren't going to play in those last minutes you know they're for the most part they're going to put face teams more like what sacramento had in their top 10 guys tonight yeah no i i think that's a really good point um i think if you look around the nba there's not there's not a lot of teams uh that look to your point have you know just empty holes in their rotation, um, you know, and I, I think that uh, you know I do think that it uh, you know it is a good sign of health for the league going forward, and uh, you know I, I think that you know I think that that you know I, I to be honest, what it says to me is that I, what I would like is for the NBA to go from thirty teams to thirty two uh, and get a team finally back in Seattle and, and find another city because I, I think you know I, it's hard for me to look at the empirical evidence and, you know, I'm not somebody who thinks the league should go past 32 teams, but you know, if you look around at the NBA, it's clear that there's enough guys to go around. And I think the fact that, you know, by all accounts, there's going to be some form of two way contracts in the next CBA, not to get way in the weeds, but I think, you know, doing stuff like that is going to only allow for there to be even more guys that are able to turn into NBA players over time. And that, you know, that's just going to lead to even more depth and the ability to, um, to spread that town out even further. So, uh, you know, I, I, I just think it's, you know, I think you're 100% right, and I think it's another sign of, of the, the NBA just being in a really good place overall right now. And it's, uh, it's as a basketball fan, it's, it's pretty nice to see. Well, and as the league gets more money just through revenue and everything like that, they, their lower-end contracts get more competitive compared to the rest, the rest of it. And the more jobs you create, if you, add, if you make it go to 32 teams, then, you know, that creates some good jobs that are out there and players that are maybe on the fringe between deciding where they're going to go might not ever leave for Europe in the first place. And that can help maybe find some of these guys. Though, I mean, we'll see what happens with um, Malcolm Delaney. You know, like he could be an interesting example of an American guy who went overseas and really found himself and then came back. Like we could see more of that as well over time. And the other idea, and I don't want to get too deep in the weeds on this, and you and I have talked about this at length before, is that if they combined expanding the expanding the number of teams and decreasing the number of games each team plays that would actually be another way to increase depth because you could theoretically play guys a higher you could play starters a higher proportion of the game yeah that's true but but you know as as i think i've told you before i'm sure you know i think anybody who wants there to be less games i just think is fighting a battle it is not happening it is um, not happening. And it's never, it's, it's never, it's a fun, it's a fun intellectual exercise. That's just what it's going to be an intellectual exercise. Yeah. I, I firmly agree with that. And it frustrates me periodically, but at, at a certain point you can't cry over spilt milk, but yeah. And, and now, at the same uh, time, it means we can see teams like the Warriors play 82 games instead of 
60 or whatever number people want it to be. So that, I think that's a good thing. And now the Warriors get, you know, they get a week off, which Coach Kerr seemed pretty enthused about considering they can, now they can take a day off and then really do some practices because that is a, a weird dynamic in the NBA is that, you know, they had media day and then they started games pretty quickly thereafter. So to, to maybe get a little bit of reps in and see what they have and then really get down to brass tacks and do some practicing because once the season starts, people lose track of this. Teams don't practice very much. No, and especially not a veteran team like this. And and coaches, well, coaches hate the preseason. It's just, a, for the most part, a waste of time. And they would much rather have, you know, maybe four games, maybe not even that many games, and just practice every day for a month. You know, that if it was up to a coach, that's the way they would prepare for a season, not playing seven or eight preseason games and going to San Jose and going to Vancouver and going to, you know, wherever else. They'd rather have as many days in the gym practicing as possible. So, you know, I know, you know, Steve was, Steve was definitely fired up today about the idea of being able to go uh, spend a week in the gym and just, you know, kind of have another mini training camp. And, you know, they're going to go to San Diego for a few days too after that and, and work out there. So, you know, I, I think that uh, for him, it's definitely going to be better than having, you know, three games in, you know, five or six days like they have the last few days. And something that it's easy even for media members, but even more so for fans just because of the level of access, is that from what I know, coaches can learn more in terms of evaluating players in that practice time. You know, it's not while we while we are limited in terms of what we can learn from practices because we don't get to see it and fans get to see usually even less. It is you know, it's a very important time for them. And so you get this weird thing where it's like, oh yeah, they're getting a big help, but we're not getting much info out of it. So for selfish reasons, it, it kind of sucks, but yeah, it, it, it does help them it, a lot. It's very, it's, yeah. No, I was just going to say, basically all your decisions about all the decisions you see about guys making teams and different things uh, in preseason, very rarely, if ever, does that come from what guys do on the court in a preseason game. It's it's almost it's way more important how a guy's practicing and how he's fitting in that way um, than anything these guys do in the games because you know a lot of the stuff in these games is just kind of helter skelter and you know it's just everybody knows it's not nobody's really taking it that seriously so it's good to watch the preseason games to see stuff like you know for instance with the Warriors how they're they've pretty clearly set up how they're going to go into the season rotation wise like that stuff is interesting to get out of but when you're when you're talking about like is Javale McGee going to make the team or is so-and-so going to make the team or, or that kind of that kind of stuff. A lot of that comes down to practice habits more than it does what they do on the court in the preseason game. Yeah, that's, that's a great point, and I think that's a, a good way to end it. But thank you so much for taking the time. Anytime, Danny. Happy to do it, man. Thanks again to Tim Bontemps for taking the time. He's an absolute champ for coming on and recording this at about 1 a.m. because that was really when we kind of got back and got settled after, after everything because it takes a little while after a game like this. And... I really do appreciate that. And you can read him at the Washington Post and you can follow him on Twitter at Tim Bontemps. That's T-I-M-B-O-N-T-E-M-P-S. And since this is coming out on Friday morning, that means it is the final Locked On Warriors podcast of the week. Had a, a, It was a really fun one for me talking with Adam Wardson after the Clippers game, then doing the Reddit mailbag, which came out yesterday and going into some other topics throughout the week. And so trying to make it a mix of really topical stuff and things that you can listen to over more time. And that is the hope. And I also really want to thank everybody for, for the support. Now we're in the, we're in the top hundred on iTunes for sports charts, which is fantastic. And 
new podcasts do get a bump. That's just the way it works, but it doesn't happen without your support. And I really do appreciate that. And if you have any feedback, positive, negative, indifferent, you can reach out to me, Danny LaRue, D-A-N-N-Y-L-E-R-O-U-X on Twitter or Danny LaRue MBA at gmail.com. I read everything, respond to what I can. And you can also follow the show Locked On Dubs on Twitter, Locked On Warriors on Facebook, or Locked On Warriors at gmail.com, whatever works for you. And it's been a great run so far. It will continue to be that. I was really happy. I think that was yesterday. We got our, our 50,000th listen. That was great. Broke 60,000 today. So that's just amazing. And having Tim on, I'm sure will help with that. And the listenership is not the end all be all of everything. It is not how I define success or a show being good or anything like that, but it does help. And in terms of the idea of having advertisers and eventually making this something that can add to my profile financially, which selfishly, but also unselfishly would be great. Those kind of things do matter. So I really do appreciate you taking the time. Also, since it's Friday, another good reminder to check out Locked On 49ers and Locked On Raiders for your NFL needs. I mean, the Niners had that rough game today, but still a good, in some ways that makes it a better time to listen. And the Thursday games are certainly strange, but good to have that in the repertoire. And for Locked On Raiders, hopefully a better result coming from that. So Thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day. Hey, Bay Area sports fans. This is Ben Kaspic, host of the Locked On Giants podcast, which should be the next Locked On podcast you fire up in your feed. The MLB offseason is closing in, and I'll have you covered every day, breaking down the rumors, speculation, and transactions that'll shape next year's Giants team. Subscribe to Locked On Giants right now on your favorite podcast provider. This is Josh Lloyd, the host of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast, the number one fantasy basketball podcast in the world. If you're looking for information regarding fantasy basketball, recaps of the NBA, this is the show for you. We are heading into the offseason and starting to get ready for the 2020-2021 fantasy season. We'll have all the information on what happens through the rest of the playoffs, free agency, the NBA draft, and then heading into a big 2021 season. So make sure you're checking out the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast.